you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, if you're new with us, uh, we've been going through the gospel according to Luke. We generally go through books of the Bible here at First Baptist Olo. Uh, Some of that in the holiday season uh, will uh, alter a bit as we consider Advent, uh, which is hard to believe, but just in a handful of weeks, uh, and the incarnation and what God did for us in sending uh, Jesus. Uh, But we're finishing out uh, Luke chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be in verses 40 through 59. Have you ever experienced a moment in your life when faith seemed unexplainable, uh, defying worldly reason or worldly logic? A moment when despite all odds, against all expectations, faith stood tall, unyielding, and resolute. Many of these moments, if you've experienced these or you've watched others experience these in their own lives, many of these moments in life occur in, during, during trials or during times of difficulty and trials. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that in the moments of suffering and trials, this is when our faith really proves itself, whether it be genuine or whether it be counterfeit. Maintaining faith in Christ during great hardship surely falls into the category, I think, of unexplainable faith. For it is spirit-induced, is what I mean. Uh, Most certainly spirit-induced. And so in this passage that we're considering this morning, we encounter kind of a tapestry woven with threads of desperation, threads of hope, and the unexplainable power of faith. Jairus, a respected synagogue leader, finds himself at a crossroads of despair. His only daughter is on the brink of death. Humanly speaking, the situation seems very bleak. It seems very hopeless. It seems like the outcome of death is inevitable. But in the face of hopelessness, as we will see, Jairus clings to an unexplainable and desperate faith. He seeks out Jesus, believing that in the face of death, Jesus can bring life. And then as we also see right in the middle of this story of Jairus, simultaneously there is a nameless woman, a woman who for 12 years has suffered from a debilitating condition. And this woman approaches Jesus in the midst of this great crowd, and she dares to reach out, and she dares to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment. Her faith defies human wisdom, yet her faith is persistent as she believes that even a mere touch of Jesus can bring healing. And when all other means of conventional wisdom that she had sought proved insufficient for healing, faith in Christ set her free from her affliction. And so when it comes to the Christian faith, it consistently operates in the realm of what I think is the earthly unexplainable. That is, it often defies our attempts to rationalize and our attempts to even comprehend. Unexplainable faith is not built on certainty, but it thrives in uncertainty. It stands firm when the world around us crumbles. It believes in the sovereign, infinite authority of Christ, even when the odds are stacked against it. 
And as we step into this passage, let us be prepared to encounter the unexplainable. Let us embrace this mystery of faith, the inexplicable power of Christ that transforms lives, that can heal the sick, and that can raise the dead. And in the stories of Jairus and the nameless woman, we find echoes of our own unexplainable moments of faith, moments when we trust God's promises despite our circumstances, moments when we believe in His sovereign power and His goodness, even when it seems beyond human reason. And I pray that this passage stretches the boundaries of our belief as God continues to grow our faith, And as we continue to see the power of Christ manifested in our own lives and in the lives of others, may our faith prove to be genuine when tested by fire. And may we marvel at the power of Christ and His merciful authority over life and death. So if you are able, would you stand as I read Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. The Word of God reads, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Pray with me. Father, give us spirits to receive this morning. Eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive your word as it is preached. Would you use it to edify us, to encourage us, to grow us, to correct us, to challenge us, ultimately leading us more and more into the image of Christ, our Savior and Lord, as we grow in our affection and love for Him, for who He is, for what He's done. And may we glory in the gospel and let that be our hope in life and in death. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So the last two weeks, we considered first Jesus' authority over the natural as Jesus calmed the storm, then followed up with his authority over the supernatural as he cast demons uh, out of a man last week. And so once more, we see in this passage the power of Jesus on full display, along with his benevolent mercy and compassion, as well as a true testimony to faith in Christ. And as we walk through this text and consider the idea and nature of faith in Christ, I want to begin by looking first at the first person we are introduced to. And so my first observation from this text this morning is desperate faith. And we see this in Jairus's plea, desperate faith. We see this in verses 40 through 42. So Jesus is walking through this crowd. Uh, he's returned from the other side of the sea, and now he encounters this man named Jairus. And so in the previous passage, Jesus cast out a multiplicity of demons that were dwelling in one man who identified themselves as legion. And if you remember, once word began to spread about what Jesus had done, he'd cast these demons into a herd of pigs, they'd run off a cliff, uh, they'd, they'd fallen into a lake and died. If you remember, after that, the townspeople were, were fear, filled excuse me, with fear, and in turn, they begged Jesus to leave. And so in essence, what the townspeople did is they saw that Jesus was not safe to have around for whatever reason, and they told Jesus to please go. And then in this passage, as Jesus returns to the other side of the sea, we see something quite the opposite as this ruler of the synagogue comes to Jesus, and he doesn't say, please go. He says, please come. Please come with me to my house. And so in those days, the synagogue was ruled by elders. And those who had that position were held in high esteem in the community, these, these rulers of the synagogues. And so Jairus, this man that Jesus encounters, this man that comes to Christ, was undoubtedly an important and respected member of society as his position carried with it a host of practical responsibilities for the spiritual life of the community. This was a very important position uh, within the community in which the synagogue was located. Even Luke's preservation of Jairus' name in this text gives us indication that Jairus was a leading figure within this community. And so Jairus comes to Jesus, and I want you to put yourself in his situation, and it's not hard for a lot of us to do. He's a man of authority an influence that is facing a crisis that brought him to his knees, a crisis that has shattered his, his world. His only daughter, 12 years of age, lay at, the, <clears throat> excuse me, lay at the edge of death's shadow. If you're a parent, this is not hard for you to imagine. As you think of your own children, if you're a parent, you would think of your own children and you would say you will do whatever it takes to preserve the life of your child, even to the point of giving your own life to preserve the life of your child. And so here is this man with his only daughter in full desperation, in great need for some sort of help. There is no doubt that Jairus, a man of his affluence, would have summoned the best doctors in town would have gone to every person in this community that could have helped him to treat his daughter's condition, but whatever treatment she received, they were unsuccessful. And so this man humbles himself completely, falling at the feet of Jesus in desperation. Now, desperation 
is a tricky thing in our world. Think about it. The last thing we want, especially as Westerners, is for people to know or think that we are desperate. Desperation can come in a variety of forms, and to a degree, there is a sense in which we have a tendency in our flesh, in our sinful flesh, to look at others in desperation and maybe turn our noses up or maybe turn away. Lord knows we don't want to be considered in the desperate category. We must put on the happy face. We must make sure everyone knows that our lives are just peachy when in fact they may be falling apart all around us. We may be in utter desperation. We have this way of thinking, maybe not publicly, that desperation is a sign of weakness. That when we are desperate, we are indeed weak. And the last thing that we can do is, last thing we can do is be or show weakness. But church, hear this. Desperation is not a sign of weakness. What desperation is, is it's a testament to the reality of the human condition. It's a testament to the reality of the human condition in the sense that we all, at some point in our lives, face situations that are beyond our control, circumstances that drive us to our knees, circumstances very similar to Jairus. He could do nothing to save his daughter whether that be in our family, whether that be our marriage, whether that be with our children and our finances, at our job, with our health, we have or will find ourselves in times of desperation. And the question for all of us really this morning is when these moments arise, it's not if, they certainly will. We've all been living in this fallen world long enough to know that everything does not go our way and hardships are certainly inevitable. When these moments arise, where do we run in our desperation? There's a lot of places we could run. Where do we run in our desperation? Notice Jairus. In his desperation, he didn't turn to his societal status. He had it. He didn't rely on his wealth or his influence. He had it. His faith was not in his own abilities or knowledge. Jairus' faith was anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. He fell at Jesus' feet. He didn't fall as a synagogue leader who had prestige. He didn't fall as someone who had notoriety in this town. He fell at Jesus' feet as a father. A man who was utterly and completely reliant upon the mercy of God. His words, I'm sure, were not rehearsed. They were not polished by eloquence, painting a great vivid picture of why Jesus should come to him. I am certain in that moment of desperation that Jairus' words were raw, sincere, and desperate. This is when faith, real faith, is born. You see, it's easy to have faith when everything's going well, when the sun is shining, and when life is comfortable. But true, genuine faith is revealed in the darkness of desperation, in the midst of life's storms. And Jairus teaches us that it's all right to come to Jesus in desperation. 
In fact, it's more than all right to come to Jesus in desperation. It is necessary. You see, there's this idea that we often have, and it's the enemy's tactics against us, that we must kind of polish ourselves up or clean ourselves up just a bit before we come to Christ. But Jairus shows us in this minute, in this moment, it is okay and necessary that we come to Jesus in moments of desperation. Because in our moments of desperation... That's when we realize that our human efforts are futile. That's when we're driven to the resurrected and glorified Jesus. Our desperation, our acknowledgement of our helplessness, this is the very thing that compels us to reach out to Jesus. And our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God who responds to desperate faith. He's not a distant deity indifferent to our struggles. No, He is a God who draws near to the brokenhearted, a God who hears the cries of the desperate. Desperate faith is not a sign of weakness, but an opportunity for the strength of God to be revealed. And all of us are desperate this morning. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we're relying upon God for everything, physically and spiritually. You cannot draw breath apart from the power and mercy and grace of God. Sustaining your body and enabling you to do so, you cannot sit in that seat apart from the sovereign nature of God's sustaining gravity that keeps you in that seat. It's amazing. And we cannot know God without Him first coming to us and enabling us to know Him through the spiritual birth. So it's not about the quantity of our faith, but it's the quality, the authenticity of surrender, the sincerity of our plea. And as we face challenges in our lives, let us approach Christ with the same desperation we see here in Jairus. Let us come before Him, not with a facade of strength as if we're going to fool God, but with a humble acknowledgement of our need for Him. Not with our accolades or all of the stuff that we've done for God, but with empty hands in desperate need of Him. In our desperation, let us find hope. In our faith, even if it feels as small as a mustard seed, let us find the courage to approach the throne of grace. For our God is a God of desperate faith, a God who hears and a God who redeems. He did not say, I hope, He did not save us and then say to us, I, never, I hope they never need anything from me and they leave me alone. No, He saved us and said to us, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says to approach my throne boldly. Second observation, persistent faith. Desperate faith, persistent faith. The woman with the issue of blood. See this in verses 43 through 48. Kind of this journey begins with Jairus, and then right here in the middle we have a different encounter that then finishes with Jairus once more. And so in the middle of Jesus' journey to Jairus' house, we're brought into another encounter in the midst of this crowd that is pressing in around Jesus. Obviously, his fame and notoriety has begun to spread. There are people following him, wanting healing, wanting to hear teaching, wanting to see his power, wanting to observe, whatever the case may be. And so this woman that we meet as, is, has a drastically different station in life. Jairus is the well-known, uh, socially astute Synagogue leader, here is an unnamed woman whose condition is beyond all hope. She has been subject to bleeding 
for 12 years, as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. 12 years. And in this, in this culture, her condition would have meant that she was an outcast of society. Because of her bleeding, she was ceremonially unclean. We see this in Leviticus 15, 25. And she would then, in turn, pass her uncleanness on to anyone who made contact with her. And so if she was a young woman, this, then this condition was, could very well have prevented her from having children, even having a husband to care for her, a particularly isolating condition, to be sure. And so this woman, shrouded in the shadows of society due to her condition, teaches us a lesson about persistent faith. For 12 agonizing years, she endured not only physical suffering, but the isolation that came with her condition. She'd certainly heard of Jesus, for who who had some sort of debilitating condition wouldn't have heard of this great healer, this man who was restoring people, not only physically, but to the family of God, back to their place in the synagogue and in society. She'd heard of His power, and in her desperation, this woman sought Him out. Now, it's not clear why she thought that coming up to Jesus and just touching, her, touching Him would heal her, but she was determined nonetheless. We've not seen any instance such as this up to this point, but she was determined in her mind, if I can get close enough to Him just to touch the fringe of His garment, then surely I can be healed. I mean, what did she have to lose, right? Imagine her frailty. Imagine her exhaustion. As she pressed through the crowd of people, her desire to touch Christ was not a wishful thought, but it was a declaration of faith. It was a conviction that propelled her forward. If only she could touch the fringe of His garment, surely this is all it would take. Here's a woman who had every reason to believe that mere man could not heal her. She spent every bit of money, Luke tells us, on doctors trying to heal this condition. And they were all unsuccessful. Yet with Jesus, she had faith. For so long, her faith was in the hands of men, that yet that faith proved to be misdirected. Now she focused that faith on the great physician. So she came up from behind him, she touched him, and instantly the bleeding stopped. Twelve long years of misery ended in an instant. Can you imagine the joy, the elation? Now Jesus didn't see this woman who touched him pressing in on him because of the crowd, but he did notice that power had gone out from him, and so he called out for her. And naturally, uh, Peter, of course, naturally is always going to be kind of the, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe some would call the negative guy, others might call the realist, going, Jesus, there's no way you know who's going to touch you. Look at what's going on here. But Jesus is like, no, 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 there's something happening here. I know that someone particularly has touched me in this instance. And so naturally, this woman was cowering in terror. Here she walks up to this Jewish teacher and touches the fringe of his garment, and now he wants to know who touched her, who touched him, excuse me. And the last thing that she wanted to do was own up to what had just happened in fear. And the symbolism in this meeting is remarkable. Blood flows from the sick woman, but the power to heal flows from Jesus. 
Her condition, her touch upon Christ was supposed to transmit ritual uncleanness to Jesus, but instead, Jesus' touch transformed her and made her clean. It seems that this woman had hoped to sneak in, receive healing, and sneak out without anyone realizing what had happened. But Jesus won't let her slip away quietly. He is not content just to dispatch a miracle, for He wants to have an encounter with a person. She steps forward and tells Him, the truth, it was me. Imagine how her heart must have been beating out of her chest if you put yourself in that situation. Imagine how her heart then must have leapt after Jesus starts talking and the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, Daughter. Don't miss this. We are not by nature sons and daughters of God. God is not the Father of us all. In biblical terms, God is the unique or sole Father of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ and all the rest of His children are adopted. Those who have received salvation through Christ. There's no other way to get into the family of God except through adoption. And the only way you can be adopted into the family of God is through God's only Son, Jesus. And so the first thing that Jesus does as He heals this unnamed woman was welcome this woman into God's family by calling her daughter. So not only was she physically healed, she was spiritually healed. He was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And on their way, he stopped to heal what is now a daughter of God. He says to her, your faith has made you well. Now it wasn't her faith that had the power to heal her as some mistakenly believe. But it was because of her faith in Christ because of her faith, that she was healed. Now this woman teaches us about a faith that is persistent. It would have been easy for her to just kind of walked away and hidden away and and counted her losses and moved on. Surely after five years of treatment, surely after six years of treatment, surely after seven years of treatment, nothing was going to prove effective. But year after year, up for 12 years, she continued to go back. And her faith persisted to the point that she hears of Jesus coming. If I can just... Get close to Jesus. Church, it's not about the intensity of our faith in a single moment, but it's the consistency of our faith over time. Persistent faith isn't about demanding from God, but drawing near to God, trusting in His timing and His ways as a son and daughter of His. We live in a world that demands instant results. Instant gratifications. We're all products of that. I am too. Again, Amazon Prime, we pay for it just to get it here. Not because we need it, but because we want it, right? But faith is not like Amazon Prime. True faith is a journey of persistence, of clinging to God's promises even in the face of prolonged suffering. It's about trusting that God is working behind the scenes. That God is sovereignly working together His divine plan. And this woman's story challenges us. It challenges us to ask the question, how persistent is your faith? Do we give up when our prayers aren't immediately answered or do we persist in seeking God's face? Do we trust in His sovereignty even when the answers tarry? 
We must learn from this woman's persistent faith and persist in prayer, persist in trust, and persist in hope. Our God is not deaf to our cries, nor is He indifferent to our suffering. Third observation, unexplainable faith, Jesus' authority over life and death. We see this in the final part of the story of Jairus and his daughter. In John 11, when Jesus got to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, four days after Lazarus had died, the women said to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Do you know how many millions of people have assumed in their lifetime that it was too late for them to meet Jesus or to have Jesus do anything for them? If you're still alive, then it's not too late, is what Jesus teaches us. This is the lesson Jairus and onlookers learned in this event. So the joyous scene of this woman being healed came to a screeching halt by a messenger from Jairus' house, bringing crushing, crushing news that his daughter had died. It says in 49, while he was still speaking, someone in the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Leave Jesus alone. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late. She's gone. And it seems that Jesus' kindness toward the sick woman may have cost this little girl her only chance at living. Can you imagine the anguish in Jairus' heart? Why did you stop? (laughs) She was still alive. You stopped. Now she's gone. I'm sure despair has overtaken him and threatened to consume him in this moment. If Jesus would have just kept walking, if Jesus wouldn't have stopped, surely he could have prevented this little girl's death. But Jesus is undeterred by this report. In the midst of Jairus' despair, Jesus speaks words that echo through eternity. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. These words are not empty reassurances. These words are a declaration of Jesus' power and authority over life and death. We find the resounding truth that our Savior is not bound by the constraints of this world. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. In His hands rests the authority to breathe life into the lifeless to resurrect hope from the ashes of hopelessness. So Jesus proceeds to Jairus' home, takes a few disciples with him, the girl's parents. There's already professional mourners there. These mourners would have gathered as soon as the death occurred. They were paid to play the flute and to wail and to cry at funerals. It's bizarre for us, obviously, when we think about that. When a person who had, who had a death in the family was somebody of means, as soon as the news came, the mourners would flock to the home where the death occurred. And so Jesus looks at these mourners, these professional, don't miss that, professional mourners, and He commands them, stop, stop wailing. The girl's not dead, she's just asleep. But what do they do? They think Jesus is absurd. They laugh at Jesus. They ridiculed Jesus because they knew that the girl was dead. How do they know that? Because otherwise they wouldn't be there. Professional mourners were like the coroner. They showed up and it was confirmed, right? Surely these people would know a dead body when they saw one. And in reality, they were right. Because Luke tells us the girl's spirit had already left her. So yes, the mourners were correct in the sense that 
in an earthly way, by way of man's conventional wisdom, this girl was lifeless, dead without breath. Then, just as in the creation account, God's Word has power to bring life into being. And so Jesus' command imparts life into this little girl. In that moment, the girl, once dead, now lives. Not only that, give her some food, man. Jesus must have been a Baptist, right? Because that's what we do. Some would argue that. Uh, That's another story. In this moment, death is conquered and life reigns supreme. But what does this teach us about our faith and our God? It reaffirms the truth that our faith is not in vain. It is a faith placed in a Savior who has authority, whose authority knows no bounds, whose love surpasses all understanding, one of which is unexplainable. In the face of death, Jesus offers life. In the depths of despair, Jesus brings hope. But there's more to this narrative than just a display of power. It is a glimpse into the redemptive plan of God. Just as Jesus raised the girl from the dead, just as He would later Himself be raised from the dead, He offers to us both spiritual and physical resurrection. In our sin and our spiritual death, He extends the hand of grace spiritually resurrecting us in the same way He raised this girl. You see, because of sin, we are born dead in our sins, spiritually dead, unable to know God and under the judgment of God. Yet through Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God came to us through His Spirit, resurrected our dead hearts, giving us life breathing spiritual life into our lungs, and He has spiritually raised us to new life in Him, Paul says, and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus in Ephesians 2. Through Christ, we are taken from death to life. Through Christ, we are taken from unrighteousness to righteousness. Through Christ, we are taken from condemnation to no condemnation, from bondage to freedom. But not only that, this resurrection is also a foretaste of what He will do in us when He returns. Because of the resurrection of Christ, Jesus also promises us physical resurrection when He returns to bring about the new heavens and new earth. One day, if we've received spiritual resurrection, we will also receive physical resurrection. When Jesus calls our dead bodies up from the ground, Because His redemption is of the whole person, both spiritual and physical. This is promised to all who have faith in the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, church, let us marvel at the unexplainable faith that we have in Christ. It's not a blind faith, but a faith rooted in the reality of His resurrection. A faith strengthened by the testimonies of countless lives transformed by His power. It may defy human wisdom. We may look at things like this and go, well, that just defies all reason and all logic. But to us who know Christ as Savior, it makes perfect sense. It's not illogical that Jesus can raise someone from the dead. It's not unreasonable that Jesus can heal a woman who's been sick for 12 years. It makes perfect sense because He's God. 
We can face our own moments of despair with the unwavering belief that our Savior stands ready to speak life into the darkest situations. Our circumstances may not change as drastically as what we see in this text, but we can be sure that the presence of Christ is with us even in our darkest moments of life, and we can have faith that we will find His authoritative compassion as He extends it to us. Our faith, no matter how feeble we may think it is, finds its true strength in God's sovereignty. In the face of the most desperate moments, we are called not to succumb to despair, but to rise in unwavering trust in the Almighty. The stories of Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood are not just ancient accounts. They're living testimonies of God's faithfulness. They are mirrors reflecting our own struggles. They are mirrors reflecting moments, reflecting our own desperation. We may not face physical ailments or death of a loved one in the same manner as this, but we have our own battles, battles of the heart, battles of the mind, battles of the soul. Even now, as as we're sitting here, many battling various things. But we must remember that our trust in God is not determined by our circumstances. Last, I said two weeks ago, Jesus is not a fair-weather captain. And our faith is not fair-weather faith that crumbles at the first sign of trouble. No, our trust in God is an anchor, a steadfast rock upon which we stand, even in the midst of life's fiercest storms. So how can we take these truths as Christians as we leave this place? What does it look like for us when our feet hit the floor tomorrow morning to start a new week? We must acknowledge our own desperation. There's no room for the prideful at the feet of Jesus. We must come before God with open hearts, laying bare our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, and our inabilities. This is what Jairus, a prominent man among the Jews, did with Jesus. It is in our vulnerability that God's strength is made perfect. It's not about pretending to be strong. It's about being real before God. We must also saturate ourselves, our minds and our hearts in the Word of God. The Bible's not just a book. It's the living, breathing revelation of God and what He would have us to know about Himself. In its pages, we find the promises that sustain us, the stories like this one that that spur us on, that grow us, and the truths that transform us. We must let the truths of Scripture take root in our hearts as these are the truths that will sustain us in a time of trouble. And we must continue to surround ourselves with a community of faith, a community that prays together, a community that supports one another, a community that bears one another's burdens. In the fellowship of believers, in the, of believers, we find strength. We find encouragement. We find the hands and feet of Jesus reaching out to us in our moments of need. Our God, church, is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love for us knows no bounds, and His ability to rescue us from the depths of despair is beyond our comprehension. May our trust in His sovereignty and His faithfulness to us empower us to face every trial with unwavering confidence.
Let us have a desperate, persistent, and unexplainable faith in Christ. Even in situations that defy human wisdom, let our faith find its resting place in Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who promises to be with us always through His Spirit. This morning, receive this message. Let this message resonate with you in the days ahead. If you do not know Jesus in the sense that you have not received Him as Lord and Savior, come find me. I'd love to talk to you more about that and what that looks like. If you need someone to pray with you about a situation, certain circumstance, maybe wavering faith, you can find me as well, or you can find a number of people in this room. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And to Him be glory, honor, praise, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray.